So this morning, I want you to pretend with me that there is someone kind of, uh, I would say, Mel Gibson-ish, kind of a man's man, a warrior. <laughs> That's it. And so this Mel Gibson-type person lives in the first century. And all of a sudden, he shocks his circle of friends, his, his culture that has surrounded him by declaring his defection from his allegiance to Caesar, his worship of Caesar, his worship of Zeus and Aphrodite. It is such a shock because, you see, if you're Jewish, when you realize what he's defected to, it is a, a stumbling block to you because he declares that I'm giving up my worship to Caesar because I'm going to worship this Jesus, this carpenter who was executed by the Romans because I think that he rose again from the grave and he's still alive. The Jews say it's a scandal because anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God, and this Jesus was hung on a cross, a tree. And the Romans think it's ridiculous because he was a criminal, because criminals are executed by crucifixion. But something amazing is happening to this person because their lifestyle begins to change. This, this, this Mel Gibson-ish type of person is no longer sleeping around with other women. It seems that he's got his temper under control. His lifestyle is so obviously changing that, that even his speech is changing, that, that he's not using the F-bomb every other sentence. And they recognize that. That he doesn't criticize those who dislike him. And then somehow, out of this, this connection with this Jesus... This song rises up and he composes a song that could be like this one. Almighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, and a bulwark is a huge, massive wall. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, this man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saboeth, Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That song at that age would be a declaration of war. Already, those people in the first century in this city of Colossae have found that their friends and families have been beaten, abused, imprisoned. The right to buy and sell in the marketplace have been removed. 
They have been ostracized and isolated from their family and friends. They've received their pink slip at work. They cannot go back. They have no labor. They have no food. They have no means or resources because of this faith in what this song has just described. And some have even died for their faith. And would it not cause you, with the intensity of that, that warfare against you, to question, did I make the right choice? For when you see your children abused, when you see your spouse murdered, would you not say, is it truly worth it? To walk this faith in Jesus and the pain that I feel, is this worth it? And that's why Paul writes a letter to his friends in Colossae. And he says to them, I want to remind you that you're followers of Jesus. And if that is the case, there are three acts, three actions that you will inculcate into your living. The first is you'll love Jesus. And that simply means that you will declare that he is Lord supreme over everything, including Caesar, no matter what the consequence that you, because you trust him, will give accessibility to the lordship of Jesus in every facet of your living. And his word will rule you, no matter how tough it gets. You will love the people close to you. That in the same manner Jesus deals with you, you will forgive and you will assist where they have need because the way that you treat the people close to you is the way that Jesus treats others and that should be your example. And then you should invest and invite. You should invest into those even outside of your close circle, people whom God gives you opportunity to connect to and invest in those friendships and then invite them on your journey of faith so that they may see by your very life who you are and who Jesus is in you. We've been talking about that for weeks, investing and inviting. Because that's what we are to do, because it changes lives. It changed Matt Baker's life. Matt, come up and join me. Matt's one of our teachers here at the academy, also working with our youth. Matt, somebody started investing in your life. Who was that? How did that happen? Well, it was uh, the third week of October 1999 uh, where I made a decision for Christ at my dad's funeral. Uh, little did I know, uh, the youth pastor at the time had invited another gentleman in our church named Curtis uh, who lost his dad at early age as well. Uh, he invited him to the funeral and said, you know, you got to connect with this guy. And uh, Curtis, who's one of my best friends to this day, uh, invited me to uh, into friendship. Uh, they'd go and hang out and They'd say, hey, come along, come hang out with us, come be friends with us, uh, spending time with me. And, you know, it took effort on my part. I mean, it's a little weird to hang out with people you don't know for the first time, so that takes some effort on both parties. But when that does happen, I think God can do a great work. Uh, and they welcomed me into their fellowship. So, so this whole thing of inviting you into his journey, what, what things did, did you begin to see in his life and he invited you to be part of that began to shape you and change you? Well, one of the things uh, that I noticed was how different this was from my experience uh, at school. You know, people knew uh, my dad was a teacher. People knew that he died, but nobody said, hey, you know, how's it going? What's going on with you? And these people, these are people who knew me and who were my friends, and I use that term as loose as possible. And this guy doesn't even know me, and he says, come along and uh, join us in fellowship. And I think that's a picture of what Jesus does as well. But even when he didn't know us, he still died for us, and he still reached out to us. So what did that do for you and your journey with Jesus? And, your, and actually, just your, your dealing with life, having someone invite you to walk with them, become friends with them, and then to see what Jesus is doing in their life, what did that do to help shape you? Well, it was huge, uh, just part of the journey, uh, learning, uh, uh, sustaining growth. I mean, uh, it's not the type of thing where I had to walk alone. I had friends. Uh, I connected with people. Uh, it shaped me. I learned from them. Uh, just, uh, they went to bat for me to get me involved with the youth group on their leadership team and all this. And just so many opportunities came from that relationship. And it's still a friendship I have to this day. What did you discover about Jesus through this friend? Well, I saw the nature of, you know, how a Christian is so different from the world. That uh, he doesn't know me. We had a, a relative experience, and that's what we bonded over. Uh, but he didn't know me. He invited me to hang out with uh, him and his friends. And 
he had no foreknowledge of who I was. He didn't know anything about me. Whereas, like, uh, I have friends who did know me, who didn't know the Lord, but, you know, couldn't really relate or didn't know what to say in that situation. So, I mean, it was a huge impact on my life. And ultimately, we were both going to plan on going out to uh, uh, Missouri to go to college. Uh, he was going to go to Evangel, and I went to CBC, but I think the uh, luster of California kept him there. <laughs> so. So now what you're doing is you're hanging out at the school here. You're hanging out with students. You're investing and inviting in their lives. Yes. That's wonderful. Thanks, man. It makes a difference because here's what happens. When you invest in someone just because you are their friend, because that's what Jesus does, and you invite them to walk with your journey, eventually because of who you are, you will arrive at a gathering of followers of Jesus. And understand that following Jesus, following the Jesus way, is a tough thing. So Paul the Apostle says that you gather together, and when you are gathering together, trying to follow Jesus, and it's a tough thing to do in a culture that is anti-Jesus, that when you do that, you become what Paul would call the body of Christ, the church. And that the body of Christ is essential to our survival in the culture in which we live. As long as the body of Christ is functioning as it was designed to function. It is not an organization of autocratic rules. It is an organism of authentic relationships. It is not the bony finger of fault. For the Lord says you are a sinner. Burn sucker. (laughs) It's not the deal. When you gather with the body of Christ, there should be this this fresh, life-giving breath of courage. And so that's why Paul says to these folks who are in such intense persecution... He reminds them of who they are together as the body of Christ. And so he says to them in Colossians 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So is life tough for you? Has it been tough for you this week? Listen to this one man's testimonial. There I was sitting at the bar, staring at my drink, when a large, trouble-making biker steps up next to me. He grabs my drink and gulps it down in one swig. Well, what you gonna do about that, he says. As I burst into tears, come on, man, the biker says. I didn't think you'd cry. I can't stand to see a man crying. Stop your crying. No crying in this bar. And so he says, this is the the worst day of my life, I said. I'm a complete failure. I was late to a meeting, and my boss fired me. When I went to the parking lot, I found my car had been stolen and I don't have any insurance. I left my wallet in the cab I took home and I found my wife with another man and then the dog bit me. So I came to this bar to work up the courage to put an end to it all. I buy a drink, I drop a capsule in it, sit here watching the poison dissolve, then you show up and drink the whole thing. But enough about me, how's your day going? So is life tough for you? I want to tell you that because we are the body and we've gathered here today, we spread courage here. I have a friend who for several years, every other week, would make his way to the Pentagon and sit with one of the joint chiefs. He'd spend 30 minutes with him. And their conversation would be like this. How are you doing? How are you handling the stress? How's your family doing? And then they would talk about some teachings of Jesus. And the whole essence of the gathering was simply this. My friend would make sure that this man who served in an incredibly responsible position for this country, he made sure he knew this. Jesus put you here so you can do this. Don't we need that? Don't we need someone to remind us that Jesus put us where we are 
and we can do this. Whether, whether you've just brought home that adopted child or you're the coach for the high school cross-country team, whether you are a manager over 50 people or the manager of the military, don't we need to know that Jesus put us here and we're going to make it? The church in Colossae at that moment had no present apostolic person. There, there was nobody in that city. Oh, Paul was, was communicating, but by letter. I mean, there's not email, there's not Skype, there's not. There's just a letter once in a while it gets there. So there's no apostolic presence really there. And the guy who planted this church, the, the pastor that was sent, Epaphras, is not even there. So how do you deal with the stress and pressure when that leadership is gone? And Paul makes it very clear. He says, you are responsible for each other. Man, there's, there had to be three or four or five home churches in Colossae at that time and maybe 30, 40, 50 people in each of those. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of each other. You are responsible for each other. Okay, now just stop a moment and I just want you to look around at the people around you. Just look, look around. You can smile at them, that's good. You can even mouth the words, take me to dinner. Go ahead. Okay, see those people? You are responsible for them. You say, no, you're the pastor. You're no, no, no. You are responsible for them. And in so many ways, that is better than a pastor who stands before a congregation and we gather for once a week on a Sunday morning and he, and he, and he preaches one message to a thousand people and then you go home and that's it. it it's so much, it, and believe me, that's, it's important that we do this. We gather for a lot of reasons, and one of those I'll, I'll, I'll describe here in just a moment, but because it also it unifies us and keeps us pointed in the same direction. But, but that's like, in fact, let me just ask you. Would you like to just go to one place on one day and have one chef make one meal for everybody, and that's all you get to eat for the week? Wouldn't you much rather have it so that during the week somebody says to you, you look hungry, I know what you want, I'll fix it for you because I know exactly what you need, here it is. And you get fed by the person who knows you and has the ability to cook for you. Paul says, I want you to personally serve to each other the word of Christ. What is that word of Christ? I like Lloyd Ogilvie's description of it. He said, the word of Christ is a synonym for his living presence in us, revealing and integrating his message and direction. It's simply this. The word of Christ is his presence, which is validated by his truth that he's already described. And by his presence, he then helps put that inside of us, and we live by it so we know what to do every day. He said, that is what I want inside of you. So he said, what I want you to do, Paul said, is I want you to let that word of Christ dwell. That word means to have ample room with its richness, which means that its richness is not depleted when it gets to you, but is as rich as it was when it left his lips. It is so rich in you. So that means he's talking. Understand, he's talking not just to individuals. He's talking to the corporate body. So that means that when we're with each other, there's ample room. So whatever we're talking about, this truth of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the application of Jesus is in our conversation. It should not be odd that when we're together, wherever we are, the truth of Jesus comes up. It should not be odd that someone says to you, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Jim Robbins on Sunday night to talk about Jesus. Should, should not be, be weirded. You say, hey, I'm, I'm going over to this person's small group because we're going to talk about Jesus. It should not be strange at all it, because it's the ample room that's needed. So if you're walking with me and then you say, hey, how's your marriage? And I'm saying, well, you know, I'm having some difficulty here. And you say, well, hey, let's talk about that. And here's how Jesus would apply in that situation. How's your finances? Well, we're, you know, we're struggling because, because I'm laid off. And okay, here's how Jesus would apply to that situation. You just can't wait to Sunday morning to have one meal fit everybody. You need each of you serving each other meals, saying, here's how it is. Here's what Jesus can do for you. When our daughter Christy comes home from South Africa, usually we see her about once a year here in this country, she'll come in with these two bags loaded, and, 
she'll get in her room and, and she unzips those bags and I don't know how it happens but the contents of those bags explode and enter every room of the house within minutes. We find her stuff everywhere in our bedroom, in our bathroom, just everywhere. She just, why? Because she makes herself at home. Just, it's my place, and, and it's just everywhere, and stuff's missing, and, and when she leaves, we find stuff missing she took with her. <laughs> she leaves the old stuff, takes the good stuff with her, because she's making herself at home. It is our responsibility to instruct each other in such a way, relationally, that the people we are with will make room for Jesus so that he can make himself at home and explode into every facet of our life. That's his desire. And he said, I'm going to use you to do that. When Pam and I were in Israel with a group from this church this last fall, we'd gone back and we'd gone to a hotel to stay overnight and they told a couple people in our, in our group their room wasn't ready. And they could either put him in a hotel down or they'd have to, to have to wait for a couple of hours. And we said, well, stay in this hotel and just bring your stuff and come up to our room. So we got to sit and talk with them for a couple hours. They made themselves home in the word of Christ with us because they began to ask us questions about, hey, how's family? And we were dealing with some family issues at that time that were grieving, it was grieving our heart because our kids were going through some struggles. And so they began to talk to us about Jesus and his word and how to apply that. And, and they began to make ample room for Jesus in our lives. So that by the time they got ready to go to their room, they had ministered to us and the truth of Jesus had been solidly implanted in us. And for, for, for weeks after that, every once in a while they would contact us and see us and they'd say, how's that going? How's that, how are you doing? I like the words of Dunham who says, we teach and admonish one another. Presenting our learnings, sharing our insights, being with, holding responsible, challenging, supporting, questioning, guiding, all for the building up of the body that we might all be equipped for ministry within and outside the church. When I was a kid in church in Sunday school, this thing right here was high tech. How many of you remember flannel graphs? Oh, yeah. I have threatened that one day I'm going to build a huge flannel graph and do an entire sermon with life-size people. Wouldn't that be cool? So they just stick up there. And so the teacher would begin to teach us about whatever the situation was. And, and, and so they would... Guys elevated, all right? They're levitating. That's why I never was a teacher. So they would tell us a story. They would tell us what the Bible story was. And, and this, this thing here, this two-dimensional thing, would declare information. Here's some information about how God loves. And so we'd go home, and my mom and dad would say, well, what did you learn today in Sunday school? Well, we learned about, and we'd tell the story, and they had this great flannel graph, and it was, just, and it was wonderful, and we were just awestruck, flannel graph, it's wonderful. But it's just two-dimensional. It's just, and some of you, what's happening here this morning to you is almost like flannel graph. Okay, so somebody's up here talking to you, and then you take some notes, and then you go home, and you slide the notes into the drawer, thinking you're going to look at them again, and it just stays informational. And it's tough. It's tough. Because what needs to take place is somehow it, it's got to be more than informational. It's got to be transformational. Transformational is dynamic. Paul's dealing with transformation here, not information distributing. Gary Sins, you're going to help me. Come up here and just stand right over here in the, in the center. You that know Gary know that at times he can be animated. It's true. So, I'm going to, so if this flannel graph is the information, and this flannel graph is saying to you, this is the way that Jesus loves me. So you hear that and you say, hey, it's nice, flannel graph, Jesus loves me. And what did you learn today? Oh, Jesus loves me. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Okay, there's the information. I want you to see the transformation. Gary, just say to these folks, this is the way that Jesus loves me. This is the way that Jesus loves me. Okay, now which was more dynamic? 
I hope you said Gary. Because if you don't, he'll get more excited. Okay, now I want you to say to them, this is the way that Jesus loves you. This is the way that Jesus loves you. Okay, I want you to go to somebody in this audience and I want you to say to them, this is the way that Jesus loves me and then say, this is the way that Jesus loves you. Find somebody. Go right to them. Face to face. In the building. Okay, both of you, come up here. Okay, isn't this better than flannel graph? Isn't this better than just information? Isn't this better than sitting there on a Sunday morning, going home and saying, hey, what did Reisner say? And you, you just spew out some information. Isn't it great when it's face-to-face, both of you together, animated, say, this is the way that Jesus loves me. Ready? Go. That's super. Now, go to somebody else and say to them, this is the way that Jesus loves you. Go find somebody, quick. Each of us? T- yeah, today. All right, bring them up here. <laughs> All right, guys. All together, this is the way that Jesus loves me. Ready? <laughs> okay, now say the other line. This is the way that Jesus loves you. Thanks, guys. Perfect. You see, we can either be informational or we can be transformational, and transformational takes place because it's it's inculcated into the life because here's what Paul says take the word of Christ teaching and admonishing the teaching is the truth as it is revealed in me this is the way that Jesus loves me the admonishing is this is the way that Jesus loves you it's a challenge to you saying you want Jesus too because look what he's doing in my life it is the word but you've got to know lived out in me and me making it available to you, for this is how he will live in you. See, you just can't show up here on Sunday morning and say, hey, I learned something. And then nothing happens. You've got to be so impacted by it that throughout the week, it is, this is the way that Jesus loves me, let me tell you. And you know, this is the way that he loves you. I see it in you. It can happen in you. So Pam and I have some very close friends that have been married less than 10 years. And it's been a struggle in their marriage. In fact, they have been separated at least three times. Probably four. Three times he's asked for a divorce. On the third time that he asked for the divorce, our friend called us and she was, she was broken. She was just saying, I don't know what to do. I'm ready to give up. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to stop. I'm going to quit. And what do you say? Something's got to be transformational. So we found some truths that we passed on to her. I found it on YouTube. I know. It's truth in music by Hillsong. Let me play a little bit for you.
so we sent that clip across country to her. She emailed back and said, I really needed that. It's spoken truth to me. And so she took that, that song with its truth. And she went away for almost a week to say, God, speak to me. And while she was contemplating and thinking through the truth of those lyrics, God spoke to her and said to her, here are the things in your life that you need to change. God broke her. So she wrote down what God had told her, and she emails her husband who has separated from her. And she said, I want to ask your forgiveness for these are the things that I realize now that I have done to you that I should not have done. He emailed back and said, I'm coming home. Because the truth of those words that captivated her opened her up to more truth, and that spirit then entered into his life, and they came back together, and simultaneously, Someone else who was a follower of Jesus connected with them and the man sat down with them and began to talk to them about their marriage and their love and how it should be and began to speak truth, began to teach and admonish them and give them the skills and the abilities to deal with the issues so that now they are moving toward health. It's the word. It's the truth lived out in me admonishing you. But now I don't want you to miss this. Paul says, I want you to be aware that that truth comes to you not just by preaching or verbal didactic teaching. That we sing transformation here. That the music and the words are the instructions. See, I talk to people who say, well, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't hang around for the song service. I don't hang around for the music. I come in for the preaching of the word. I want to tell you that according to Paul, the singing of the word is still teaching and preaching and it changes lives. And when you miss that, you miss his instruction. That's why Paul said, take the word of Christ, teach and admonish each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that the early Christian church taught and encouraged by music, by songs. That down the road in the church at Ephesus, he told them the same thing. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 19, he's, uh, 5.19 says, Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That singing instructs. Horatio Spafford had a son and four daughters. He was a wealthy man in Chicago, invested well, had good businesses. He and his wife grieved because they lost their youngest child, which was their son, to illness. Then all his holdings were wiped out by the great Chicago fire. Wiped out. It grieved him so badly that he, that he needed a, a respite, so they decided to go across the Atlantic to England to, to rest. And so he, he put them on a ship and they were getting ready to go when he was notified that he had to stay for more business to try to take care of all this. So he stayed in the United States and put his wife and his four daughters on the ship and off they went. Somewhere on the Atlantic, they collided with another ship. It went down fast, the one they were on, and all four daughters died. And all... Spafford got was a telegram. And this is it. And in essence, it was just two words from his wife, saved alone. He jumped on another ship as soon as he could and made his way across the Atlantic to find his grieving wife. And somewhere on the Atlantic, just about the spot where the ship had gone down, and he lost his four daughters in that three miles depth of water, the ship stopped. And he stood over that spot. And then he went back to his cabin. 
and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regard in my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. Sing it, it is well. Go ahead and sing that other part. We'll do it again. It is well, is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. When we sing, the truth. Songs of gratitude invite his dwelling. When it comes from the heart and says, God, I don't understand it all, but this is who you are and I trust you. The amazing thing happens. He dwells there and what's happening in us begins to affect others and they mature and they grow and they're instructed and they're admonished. It can be a psalm. And it really, in this section, Paul's not really trying to differentiate between all three, but you can. The psalm is, is the Old Testament hymnal. It's, it's David's stuff. It's the psalms. The hymn. The hymns would be what they have written about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Spiritual songs could be the spontaneous movement of God moving on a heart and then a song rising up. He said all of those, all of those, all of those, sing all of those. Sing them to God with your whole heart and he will inhabit those praises and you will change the people around you. You will instruct them. Your songs say, this is how God loves me and this is how God can love you. Sometime around 850 B.C., the Ammonites and the Moabites invaded Israel. Now what made this so horrific is not only their violence, but the demonic presence they brought with them. For the god they worshipped was named Moloch, or Milcom. This demonic presence they worshipped had influenced them to the place that they believed that to please their god, what they needed to do was take their children, their infants, and place them in the fire and sacrifice them. Can you imagine that? Going to the nursery today, picking up your child, and having a, a bonfire outside, and burning your child up today? This demonic presence was determined to destroy the family, to kill children. And this evil influence is moving into Israel. What do you do when evil is invading your life, invading your campus, invading your, your community? What do you do? King Jehoshaphat went before God and said, what do I do? And God said, I want to tell you that this battle is not yours. I've already won it. So you can trust me. And here's what you do. You take the singers and you put them in front of the army. Can you just imagine us doing that before the Marines go in, the choir goes in? And here's what Jehoshaphat says, Second Chronicles 20, 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were what? They were defeated. How do you keep an evil power at bay? You sing the truth. And don't lose that. Sing the truth. Because that singing 
begins to, to generate truth in us and, and displays that truth in us and others catch on to that truth and they're encouraged and, and, and they grow through that and they're admonished and they begin to believe the truth and God invades that and he says, oh, I've got to help these folks. So let me leave you with three steps. The first is this. Find every moment to sing truth. You know, I'm not legalistic. But if you're not at every gathering you can be, and especially on Sunday mornings as we gather together, if this is just one of your many options, I think you're crazy. Excuse me, but I think you're crazy. Because here's what happens. When you're in a gathering like this and you are singing the truth, God will take that truth and attach it to an enemy. You'll be singing the truth and God will say, here's the truth. Use that against the force that's against you now and sing that truth and believe that truth and live out that truth. I am, I'm encouraging you now. Go for it. And the person singing next to you, suddenly you hear their voice and go, yes, that's true. And it changes you. Why wouldn't you want to be someplace that gets you ready for the week? Why wouldn't you take that that? iPod and just and, and fill it full of songs of declaration, whatever your style is, whether it's the Gaithers or, or like some contemporary group, whoever it is, why don't you take that and put it in your iPod or, or, or your cassette player, whatever you got, your eight track. My grandfather to his dying day always talked about record players as phonographs and telegraph poles. That's what, that was him. Why won't you do that and listen to it all the time? Man, inundate yourself to the truth, to the singing of the truth because it's instructing you. Find every moment to sing truth. Secondly, share our songs. Man, this is for the community. That's why I say bring your friends, even if they're not followers of Jesus, into the setting because as we are singing, they're being instructed. They're hearing the truth and, and God will take his truth and attach it to their issues. I'm surprised that the people I talk to who step into this church for the first time or any gathering where they're worshiping Jesus and especially through music and how not only, see sometimes when we just do the information, it hits the mind and trying to find its way but when you sing, it goes to the heart and the mind. So share your songs. Bring your friends. Share your song list. Share what's on, on, uh, on your iTunes. Share that stuff. Legally. It's not good to steal and then praise Jesus at the same time. <laughs> Doesn't quite work. Thirdly, be responsible for each other. You say, well, it's your job. No. The body sings. You know, I love to watch Pam's dad, who's, who's now been dead for like four or five years, but I'd love to watch him when he would sing because he'd put his whole body into it. He would sing. His, one of his favorite songs was Down From His Glory. Down from his glory. I mean, he's just up on the toes and the arm would come up. He put his full body into it. I watch some of our youth and they get singing and worshiping on a Wednesday night and they're just, they're just moving around and it's just, it's just it's flowing out of them. The whole body's involved. When we sing here together in a gathering, the whole body is involved. You say, I don't sing very well. Well, so What? And you do. <laughs> so you may not have a great voice, but God hears it as beauty. Just go ahead and groan. I don't care. Just sing rap. I don't care. You can clap. You can raise your hands. You can speak the words, but the whole body's got to do that. One of the things that I like to do is sometimes when we're worshiping and I'm singing, My mind will go to somebody I love deeply who's having a rough time and that song applies to them and I say, God, I'm singing this song over them. Let it penetrate them. And I believe that God just goes across the, 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 the miles and plants that song right over the top of them even though they're not singing it, I'm singing it for them. And say, God, let the truth penetrate them. And it does. I like what St. Augustine says. If not your voice alone sound the praises of God, or let not your voice alone sound the praises of God, 
but let your works also be in harmony with your voice. To please then the ear, sing with your voice, but with your heart be not silent, with your life be not still. So look, we're not Mel Gibson, and we're not pretending. Life is tough, and evil wants to level us out. So let's sing. Band, come on up. And we're going to close this out by a declaration of truth over whatever is against you today. As we begin to sing this, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to spend some time right down here, you do so just worshiping and loving God. This is a a sacred place. And, And if you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, stop by our information desk. There's a packet we'll give you that tells you more about this journey with Jesus. Some folks will answer any questions you have because we want you to know this Jesus that we love deeply. You see, the, the body of Christ is not some sterile gathering and information passing, but this is a transformational journey together. That, that we, are, we are teaching and admonishing through, through our words and especially through our singing. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to ask... <clears throat> the band and Mark, the singers, to to lead us now. And I'm going to invite you to come and spend some time here declaring these words over your life. If you've got to go, God bless you in just a moment. You can go after some and move this direction. But let's stay here and let God speak his truth to us. Mark, lead us.
may you hear his song may it echo in your mind and be planted in your heart may the truth tear down every stronghold in your path and may your joy that you find in the truth of Jesus admonish others whose lives will be transformed because of what Jesus is doing in you And may you find that you're investing and inviting has radically changed the lives around you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.